Welcome everyone. Perhaps many of you are already feeling that uh, this group is your family. Everybody here is your brothers and sisters. We are all trying to help each other with our best intention. Also, there is this wonderful resolution has been happening all along, and that is this dissolving our conventional identities to the extent that we are no longer relating to each other with our genders, professional, career, colors, ethnicity. We didn't even have to transcend those superficial barriers. So what we are feeling right now is this uh, harmonious spirit of a family. And this family is uh, walking together on a journey that is never going to end. And we are here to inspire each other to help and hold each other. After speaking with many of you, I'm quite uh, pleased by what is uh, happening here. Some of you are having a very extraordinary, almost you might like to regard as a religious experience. Transcendence, opening heart, being in love with the totality. Some of you are still going through process of uh, unraveling your psychological issues, working with them piece by piece. And some of you are just enjoying the food here. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> Food tend to be one of the biggest issues at the meditation retreat. <laughs> we had issues where people literally go on a strike and food is not so good at the retreat. <laughs> In short, it really feels that uh, everything's going in the right direction. Everyone is uh, changing in a different uh, mannerism. Some people are having big awakening, satori. Someone is uh, transforming. Someone else is uh, having very honest uh, self-awareness. 
the flavor, the texture of our inner transformation is, of course, different. It's always different, various. The flavor of transformation in the consciousness of the person in front of you might taste a little bit different from the flavor of the inner transformation within yourself. Even within yourself, the flavor of your transformation will change. Today, you feel that you are descending into a swamp inside you. You feel that you are processing and how overaccumulated suffering and pain. And tomorrow, you may feel that you are awakening and feeling infinite love, clarity, and even bliss. I want to encourage all of you, without any resistance, to love and to taste all these different myriad flavors of your inner transformation. And not trying to choose the sweet one over the bitter one. I went to Malaysia at the beginning of this year. It's a, a tropical country. You will find many exotic vegetables there that you don't find here. I was served many delicious exotic vegetables. I even don't recall names of most of them. But I do have one regret. They tried to serve me this uh, fruit. I believe it's called Durango. It's supposed to be very bitter taste and sometimes make you feel very repulsive or even vomiting. I didn't try it. <laughs> Maybe I tried to try it, but I wasn't able to really completely let go of all my resistance and swallow it. Next time when I go back to Malaysia, what I want to do is, I want to try that fruit. I want to eat that bitter taste fruit. Not only that, I want to swallow it. <laughs> and I want to come back to tell all my friends <laughs> that I tried this fruit, this bitter taste fruit. After that, my journey to Malaysia is never complete. And then my journey to Malaysia is finally complete. People, their love this fruit. They bring that fruit to almost every party. They eat that fruit with other delicious sweet fruit. So here I'm asking you, don't resist. Love all these flavors, all these different textures of your inner transformation. Some of them taste like a little bit the flavor of a drain. Painful. Overwhelming, challenging. You may feel that you are falling apart. You may feel that you are descending into the darkest, the lowest realm of your consciousness. Other times you may feel that you are ascending 
into a, some kind of celestial state of your consciousness. In the end, they're all just different ways of experiencing your inner transformation. So that's how I'm very pleased with what is happening in this community. Many of you come here because you are struggling. You are dealing with either psychological issues or physical issues like a health, relationship, or something else. And this is where you come here to find the answer, uh, a new guidance, a moral orientation in your life. And you come here to learn techniques, discipline, a wisdom, so you can apply them and to find peace and unconditional joy. Some of you may don't have any uh, challenging difficulties right now in your life. Perhaps you just paid your mortgage. <laughs> Not only that, you may have a relatively quite a peaceful relationship and your children love you so perhaps everything's going okay in your life but you may be feeling now and then that's very strange disconcerting awareness, painful awareness, and that there is a emptiness, and that sense of a drudgery with everything you do in your life. That's why you come here to find out what that painful awareness is looking for. Even you may don't know what that painful awareness is looking for. If you're religious, you might say, I'm looking for God or divine. But the truth is that most of the time, we may don't know what that is looking for. I read a news a few years ago. It says that the ancient religious traditions are dying in many parts of the world, especially in Western Europe place like Netherlands. Lots of the churches are going empty. Most young people do not relate to the concepts of a God, hell and heaven. But this journalist interviewed many people. And people also said that Lots of young people are searching for something. They're not totally nihilistic. They're looking for something. But if you ask them, what are you looking for? They don't say, I'm looking for God. And then one person made a joke about that. The new religion is called somethingism. Because everybody's looking for something. <laughs> So some of you are looking for something, <laughs> even you don't know what it is. You may not call it the Atma, Divine, God, Buddha, Nature, Nirvana, but you're looking for something because this painful awareness visits to you. You cannot shut it down. It visits to you when you are sometimes just resting in your living room.
And some of you may have already deep aspiration for enlightenment, inner awakening, and true transformation. It doesn't really matter what reason why you are here, but you are on this extraordinary journey. This journey was described by Buddha. By the way, this journey is not new, it's very ancient. Many mystics, bodhisattvas, mahasiddhas, men and women walked on this journey that you are walking right now. Many Buddhists walked on this journey, many Hindus and many Sufis walked on this journey. Buddha said, remember, there is a journey going away from that is made condition to become into that is an unmade, unconditioned, unbecome. So he's uh, pointing out there is a extraordinary truth, extraordinary reality that we can find, that we can glimpse, actualize. He said there is a reality that is totally unconditional, timeless. Also, it is unnameable. The Buddhist teachers always pointing out the infinite of the sacredness, whatever you're looking for is uh, already inside you. So this reality that the Buddha is talking about is already in each of us. So no later, if you haven't discovered it, you're going to stumble across it. You have no choice, you're doomed to discovering that reality. Or some of you may have already discovered in this meditation retreat. Maybe some of you are already teetering on the brink of discovering such reality. But that reality Buddha is talking about is really who you are. It's not separate from you. It's not separate from your body, from your mind. It's not like some kind of higher self or Atma. It is in every cell inside your body. You're made of it. It is also the deepest dimension of your existence. And when you experience it, you feel that you are the infinite. You are the, this infinite love this boundless compassion and this profound wisdom. On this journey, by the way, you may be wondering what your journey is. We, you know, we always like to have a name of our journey. This is a dilemma in my Sangha. Because uh, in many ways, I'm little, but uh, I regard myself as a Buddhist gypsy. Spiritually, I'm a gypsy. Of course, I have a, a place to live. I have a family, but spiritually, I feel little but a gypsy. I feel that I don't have so much uh, doctrine that I worship. I don't have a tradition that I pay homage to, or my allegiance. So in that sense, I feel I'm a gypsy. 
with that spirit, I didn't teach so much a uh, whole complex system of uh, practices. I didn't tell really people that you have to hang around me next to 30 years because you have to go through all these different stages of practices and then calculating that it takes 30 years to finish that. And I hope all of you feel around me that this can be the last time that you're going to hear me. I have no problem with that. You don't have to come back. You don't have to hear me again. Or you're free to hear me again if you want, if you find some wisdom in it. So that's why my community had this dilemma sometime beginning of this year because of another Buddhist teacher told them that uh, what is your path? This Buddhist teacher asked some of my Sangha members what is your path? They really didn't have good answer. So they asked me what is our really path? <laughs> <laughs> and so you may be wondering what is your path? Well, you can say Buddhist path but that's very lame <laughs> you know, everybody's Buddhist these days. <laughs> yeah, eventually your dog will say, I'm Buddhist. <laughs> Years ago, I used to wear these exotic Tibetan robes. One time I flew from Bay Area to Washington State, I landed at the airport in Seattle and walked towards the baggage claim, waiting for my suitcase to arrive. I was in this uh, maroon-colored Tibetan robe. There was a guy standing across from me, and he looked at me. His eyes got really big, and he approached me asked me, are you Buddhist? I said, yes. He said, cool. <laughs> and somehow this is a, some kind of strange term. It's very cool to be Buddhist. <laughs> so to tell somebody I'm Buddhist means nothing. Remember? Tell my path, the Buddhist path means nothing. Remember? It's very trendy to be Buddhist. So what is really your path? And uh, you heard me and all these wonderful teachers are talking about uh, the path that we are on. But you can call your path as a pathless path. When somebody asks you what is your path, just tell them pathless path. <laughs> and give it them homework. And they have to figure out what that is. It's not your responsibility to find your path, it's their responsibility to figure out what your path is. I like to tell people when they ask, what is your path? I say, my path is pathless path. <laughs> so this is a pathless path because you are going nowhere, you are going inside. And uh, there's, of course, uh, dharma, a timeless, authentic, uh, not arduous, but a serious spiritual practice. And that is the process of uh, acquiring self-knowledge. I had uh, an inspiring a master, Lama Tsurdo, who passed away a long time ago, 
I spent many, many years around him. He wasn't scholar, he wasn't erudite, and he wasn't a very good speaker. He was a, a lifelong hermit, very simple man, didn't on anything. When he died, I heard that there's nothing to give away. And uh, when he was alive, he had uh, this health issue. He was disabled. He had to use a walking stick to get around. His whole body was bent. I would sit in his prison for hours, hours, and he won't teach you formally most of the time. He would just uh, talk with you. Sometimes he would ask you just ordinary questions. How about uh, this person? What is she doing? What is he up to these days? That sort of thing. And he wasn't abusive at all. He was very kind. And he didn't want anything from me. He was a renunciate. And obviously, because he is a disabled, if we get into fight, I will be the winner. <laughs> and he wasn't very high Lama. He wasn't that famous Lama. He was very humble yogi, but every time when I go to see him, I have so much fear. My heart starts racing. I was so nervous. I didn't get nervous around uh, other lamas. I met with many renowned and famous lamas. I wasn't afraid of them at all. But every time when I go to see him, my heart starts racing. And when I sit in his presence, I got very nervous. But same time, I was very happy and ecstatic. That's why I kept going back. I had a moment to figure out why I was so nervous in this disabled man in his presence. And I learned that somehow when I sat in the presence, I felt he's looking into me and see everything inside me. I feel that his consciousness is penetrating into my consciousness and see all the things that I don't want to even see by myself. So remember, my time with him is filled with nervousness and bliss. I was ecstatic to see him because he saw something inside me that I didn't see. Maybe he saw infinite with me. Maybe he saw my original face that I couldn't see. That's why my heart knew more about my relationship to him than my mind knew. Maybe this reason I felt so much joy sitting in his presence. But also my heart knew that there's many things that I'm not familiar with. And there are many things that I'm hiding. I'm running away from. I'm running away from myself, from my own shadow, from my own darkness, from my fear, from my anger, from my insecurity, from my pride and judgment. So that's why I was nervous, because somehow I felt that he sees everything. I don't know whether he was seeing everything inside me, but at least he was a powerful catalyst. And somehow my connection with him is that he was this catalyst for me to open my eye the eye of the heart and mind. And at least, even I didn't see everything, but I start a journey. Journey on which, where my main sadhana becomes the acquiring self-knowledge.
Buddha said something like this, abide in peace, study yourself, and let enjoy the bliss. Remember he said, study yourself. So Buddha is talking about how important it is to study yourself, which is the process of acquiring self-knowledge. Every tradition teaches that the process of acquiring self-knowledge is an almost indispensable component of the journey. If you want to find God, this is the path. If you find Nirvana, then this is the path. Or you can let go of all these ideas. Perhaps you want to find the purpose of your life, or you want to go through metamorphosis, or you want to wake up, or you want to find uh, uh, unconditional love, or maybe you want to grow big inside so you can be a great source of peace, love to the world around you. Either way, the process of acquiring self-knowledge is indispensable. And that is, uh, keep turning your attention inside. Very famous Tibetan master, Mupam Rinpoche from the 20th century. He said, one inward dharma is better than 100 outwards dharma. So you may wonder, what is the difference between the inward dharma and the outward dharma? In other, another word, the inward spirituality versus the outward spirituality. What he's saying is that you can pray to divine or eternal Buddha by thinking that lies outside of yourself. Or you can totally indulge yourself into all these mind-blowing spiritual practices. But if you don't look inside yourself, none of these things will transform you. This is why he said, one inward dharma is better than 100 outward dharma. I can sit beside Reverend Ganji for years and years and praying, meditating, and reciting holy incantations. But if I don't look into myself, there won't be any transformation. Whereas I can let go of all of them. I can wear blue jeans. And maybe ride a train in subway New York every day. But if I have the willingness to look into myself, then certainly I will transform. So I would like to all of you to be here and to be witness, witness for yourself. That's all you need to do. If you have the willingness, courage, and this undone love to be nothing but witness, witness for your heart, for your mind, and then you're going to perhaps uh, and discover a whole world of shadow, new shadow as well as old shadow. You'll discover old shadow, irrational fear that you even don't know how that occurred inside you. You may not be able to point a finger at a particular event in your life that caused this irrational fear inside you. And maybe you realize that you have been holding on to a pride so subtly that you even didn't know it. And you may realize now that your pride has been separating you from other people, preventing you from loving somebody else in your life.
Remember, somehow one of the main topic of this retreat is a sacred fertilizer. <laughs> you know, in many old cultures, and when people grow crops, they use fertilizer. But they often use animal waste and sometimes human excursion as a fertilizer. So fertilizer is not always pleasant. It's not always wholesome. But it's so useful. It makes things grow. It makes things to blossom. So when you turn your attention inside and begin to see all this darkness and pain, sorrow, hatred, self-loathing, don't identify with them, be witness, be witness. And someone knowing that you are this infinite witnessing finite. You're this love, not just love, but you're this boundless love witnessing anger. And remember that you are this pure bliss witnessing sorrow. And then love what you are going through, love what you are processing. Even the darkest element, don't demonize them, don't label them as impure or sinful or darkness. Love them as a sacred. Love them as part of yourself. And treat them as, remember, the sacred fertilizers. Did I tell you this story? Recently somebody asked me, maybe I told you the story, that samsara exhaust by itself Samsara means which is a circle, which is the state of our own mind. And we'll see it because there's this vicious circle that never ends. Either we are dealing with fear or anger, loneliness. There's a vicious circle of pain, so that never ends, as far as we remember. Maybe today I'm dealing with the fear, but maybe tomorrow I'm dealing with anger. And then next day I may be dealing with insecurity. And then after that I may be dealing with pride. I'm always dealing with something, aren't you? So this is the vicious circle. So I told this person, the samsara does not exhaust by itself. Actually it perpetuates itself. The samsara never says, well, I'm going to leave you alone now. I'm really tired with you. <laughs> I tortured you enough. And now I'm going to go somewhere else, torture somebody else. Samsara never said that. Your hatred never says, I'm really getting tired with you. I'm going to leave you alone. Your suffering never says, well, I'm really tortured. I've been torturing you. It's no more fun to torture you. I'm going to leave you alone. Does suffering ever say that? It never does. It just keeps perpetuating. Look at the war that has happened in human history. I went to Europe a few years ago and somebody told me in France, you may not find a one acreage of a ground where there's no war. And war has been happening all along from the dawn of human civilization. So many people have been killed. Men, women, children. Many innocent people have been killed. Not only that, their suffering is beyond words. But the war is still continuing. You think that after the First World War, nobody won't have a war because they see how destructive, how stupid, and how wasting of uh, 
resource in human life to have another role, but didn't take long time. Within a few decades, they declared world that is even more destructive. So this shows the suffering does not exhaust by itself. No violence, no ignorance, no unawareness. I told this person, but some are exhausted when there's only awareness. When there's self-knowledge, then you will be exhausted. I was reading this very inspiring a book by a, a Buddhist teacher a long time ago. She said something like that. She has been meditating for many, many decades. And sometimes she got a little bit discouraged because she didn't see any signs of enlightenment. She didn't see any kind of spiritual firework. But she kept going. She didn't give up the path. She kept meditating every day. And one day she had an insight. But that insight was not the kind of insight that we expected sometimes. Like big explosion of a consciousness. She felt that she has been listening to one track of music for years, years. And that one track of music can be anything. It could be judgment, it could be fear, it could be self-loathing. And she wrote that she has been listening to this one track of music in her head. And she got a little bit exhausted with that. That was her transformation. So through self-knowledge, all our suffering, pain will exhaust you. Our fear will be exhausted. You will be exhausted. You will be tired with your fear. You will be tired with your hatred. You'll be tired with your own hatred towards yourself. And in this journey, of knowing yourself can be so rewarding. So rewarding that at one point you don't even care enlightenment. You don't care any reward. The journey alone is totally fulfilling. And you discover dignity, courage, and self-love on this journey. While you're in the middle of uh, working on your darkness, you still feel this dignity. And not only that you have this moment of a many epiphany where you open your eye, the eye of consciousness, the eye of Dharma, and where you see really who you are, you'll see your original face. You will see your true nature, your true nature as an infinite. Not as an intellectual understanding, not as some kind of beautiful belief system about you, but the direct testing your true nature. And sometimes this kind of notion of true nature is really difficult to grasp and I totally understand if one of you think, oh, this is just another abstract idea. It's just another Buddhist abstract idea. This whole idea of an infinite within ourselves. It sounds good, but it's maybe just another big illusion or myth. Of course, my responsibility is not trying to convince you that you have this true nature. That's not my duty. Nor I'm asking you to wake up and to see your true nature. But if you walk on this path, sooner or later, you'll see your true nature. 
and when you see it, you realize it's beyond belief systems, it's beyond concepts, it's beyond everything. But you won't have any more doubt. This is why Zen Buddhists often say, sitting quietly, doing nothing, spring comes, and the grass grows naturally. So we may have to sit another day, another week, but if we keep surfing with the love of this path as a path, sooner or later, there's no choice except we will wake up and our true nature will shine within. And then you'll come to this conclusion that you found the lotus in the middle of the mud. First, maybe you saw only mud, but you're so crazy that you jump into mud and then you found the lotus. And then you realize that in the end, the essence of poison is the medicine. And you found, finally, the light, not outside of the darkness, but in the heart of the darkness. You can't find beautiful lotus blossoming on the rocks, beautiful rocks like limestone. You find beautiful lotus growing usually in the mud. If you want to find lotus, go to the swamp, go to the mud, jump into it without any resistance and swim into the mud. And soon you realize that actually you are the lotus all along. Tonight I was uh, supposed to be talking different topic. <laughs> and, and just around the dinner, I had to change the topic. This is a true story, I'm not making it up. And I was preparing, talking about the subject of surrender, which is a really nice subject, <laughs> but I didn't talk about it. And you know how powerful it is when you can surrender. But this topic, walking on the path of path and studying yourself, is absolutely connected with the topic of a surrendering. It is about surrendering all your resistance, all your fear, and even surrendering yourself. Surrendering your hope. You may wonder to whom you have to surrender. Before we end this talk, I'd like to share a little bit my personal first-hand experience of surrendering. And one time I had uh, severe pains, very strong pain, and I started praying. I recited uh, Buddhist mantras. 
then I was meditating. But my intention was really trying to control that pain or to make that pain go away. I was uh, trying to call forth some kind of divine force to intervene and uh, make my pain go away or subdue my pain. So I was coming from the attitude of uh, controlling. And then, of course, my prayers, my meditation didn't work. The pain grew. In the end, uh, I come to this state that this pain is stronger than my will, much stronger than my strategies, much stronger than my techniques and my one force and finally I kind of told my pain I surrendered to you I decided not to be a spiritual marathon spiritual athlete I decided to fall apart and just let myself fall apart let myself cry let myself grow up clinics if I need. Let myself cry loudly if I need. In that moment of surrendering, I also was praying. Guess to whom I was praying? Universe. Not Buddhist gods or Buddhist goddesses. I was praying to a universe. And I don't share that with my many uh, Buddhist colleagues. They think I'm spending too much time in Northern California. <laughs> and this, before you know, you're going to hug those redwoods. <laughs> and they're going to lose your sanity. <laughs> so I was surrendering to the universe. And there's peace in the pain. And that peace has also joy. Much gratitude.